What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Welcome back to another episode of What Got You There Before we go into today's guests we want to give a shout out to Timothy Paul who left the five star review What Tim says is Sean does an incredible job providing the audience with insightful guidance and inspirational messages that can resonate with just about anyone. My new favorite pod that I can't wait to listen to every time one drops down in my feed. Keep getting after it, Sean. Timothy, thank you for the support. And anyone else who is enjoying the content, please head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Today, we are joined by the master of self-defense, Tony Blauer. Tony is a personal defense and combatives consultant. He's the CEO at Blower Tactical Systems and founder of the SPEAR system, which stands for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. Tony travels the world sharing his research with military and law enforcement. He also works closely with professional self-defense experts and protection specialists. In this episode, we dive deep on fear, how Tony both overcame it and how he teaches his clients to deal with fear on an everyday basis. Tony also talks about some troubling times where his family was held up at gunpoint in their own house. This is an incredible episode and one I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. So you're out in Las Vegas right now, correct? Yep. I got here last night. We've got uh, five, six days of training and then off to my next adventure. (laughs) Awesome. That's good to hear. So I love asking my guests, how'd you start today? Um, How did I start today? Actually, like literally, what did I do today just to kick off the day? How'd the Um, morning go? I got up uh, uh, far earlier than I wanted to. Uh, New bed, uh, uncomfortable bed, got up early, uh, did a whole bunch of um, exercises just to kind of jumpstart my physiological system, took a nice shower, and then uh, went and had a meeting with uh, five of my trainers that are in town helping me help me run the course. So I just finished the meeting, got back here to do this. Great. So do you typically start your day with a workout to kind of get going? Um, yeah. Uh, most of the time, I, you know, I've got a, um, a, a pretty elaborate home gym, and uh, I have a coach come over uh, like three to five times a week when I'm not traveling. And usually that's, uh, you know, after getting up and brushing my teeth and letting the dogs out, uh, that's the first place I try to go. Okay, great. So for my uh, listeners that don't know much about you, you want to give just a short background on yourself? Um, yeah, short's tricky cause I'm 56. So trying <laughs> well, to press as long as you uh, would like. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, grew up in the sixties, fascinated with, uh, martial arts and all sorts of, you know, fighting stuff. Uh, and, uh, I felt as a, as a kid that I was a lot more fearful of, uh, violence than other people. You just didn't talk about that stuff in the sixties and, in many ways, you still don't talk about it, but, uh, I remember just being, uh, kind of, kind of always worrying about, you know, what would happen if like an adult tried to grab me or what would happen if somebody was behind this wall here. And, and, um, I remember asking my dad when I was like 11 or 12, Hey, I'm going to high school, uh, kind of, kind of worried about the older kids and bullies. And he said, well, you should study some martial arts if that's a big concern of yours. And, um, so I started, uh, I started, there was only one martial arts school uh, around. I started doing Taekwondo. I had wrestled competitively before that, 
and uh, just fell in love with it, fell in love with the arts, um, stayed, stayed with them. And kind of when I started doing it, I knew, I remember when I was maybe, I wasn't even 14 or 15, my mom asked me, hey, have you thought about, you know, what you're going to do when you're older? You know, let's start thinking about after high school. And um, I looked at her and I said, mom, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, teach self-defense for a living. I'm going to be like Bruce Lee and I'm going to develop my own martial art. And she, I was on the floor doing some stretching and she, I remember her patting me on the head saying, okay, dear, we'll talk about this when you're older. Right. And so uh, it was kind of funny. I knew back then this is what I wanted to do and this is what I ended up doing. That's awesome. Uh, so let's kind of hit on you. You're working in the martial arts um, and then you obviously got into the training side of things. What were some of the early training sessions like with uh, some of your new clients and people you were working with? Well, I, you know, I started teaching when I was 17, like, and, and so that's kind of a young age. And, uh, <clears throat> I was, I was kind of thrust into a teaching role. Uh, you know, I didn't say, Oh, I'm going to come up with a cool acronym and start a company. You know, I was working at my dad's, uh, uh, factory and I was making four bucks an hour, you know, it was 1976, 77. And, uh, I was just doing that and just, you know, working out with different friends and stuff. And then one day his, uh, his biggest client and a good friend of the family says, says to me in the, in the, in the back shipping area, he saw me like, you know, kicking some boxes and stuff like that. And he said, Hey, do you know martial arts stuff? And I said, yeah, a little bit. He said, I want you to teach my son, Mitch. He's having some bully problems at school. So I said, cool. You know, I'm more than happy to. And I, I'd never really like taught or organized anything in a formal way. And, um, uh, he says, how much, how much do you want to charge? And I said, well, you know, Joey, I'm not going to charge you. You know, you're a good friend of the families. And he said, no, I want you to take this seriously. And, uh, I said, I will, I will. I promise. He said, well, I'm going to pay you 20. I don't want you to be late. And, uh, I want you to be organized, be a professional. And I'm thinking in my mind, cause I'm making four bucks an hour for my father, that this must be five classes for $20. <laughs> right. And, uh, I say, okay, no problem. And he says, so uh, each class, $20. And all of a sudden I realized, holy shit. <laughs> You're on to something. Paying me 20 bucks an hour, <laughs> you know? Well, I'd never even thought about, you know, monetizing it or whatever, but it was just like suddenly as a, you know, at, at 17, 18 years old, um, um, and, you know, that it was uh, a lot of money, but it was really what I love to do. And, and so it really kickstarted the 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 business but it, that's the serendipity of it right i wasn't chasing money it was it was you know really a kid needed some bully prevention stuff uh and and i had a skill set and i love to teach and what happened was his brother said how come mitch gets lessons and then we're working out one day and the kids across the street they were from a you know a fairly successful area so the kids across the street go, hey, what's uh, Stevie and Mitch doing? And next thing I know, literally within a month, I had about 30 16, 17-year-olds taking private lessons. So I was working, you know, five days a week for my father, sometimes Saturday, putting in that 40, 50-hour week. And then every night I was teaching another 30, 40 hours a week. And I did that for uh, about six years until I left my father's company incorporated business 1985 and that's when i actually opened up my my first school gotcha wow so i want to dive back a little bit more and talk about uh fear and kind of when you hear that word what comes to your mind 
Well, for me, it means many different things than what it means for most people because I've been researching it for you know decades now, and and our company now is probably one of the you know we're one of the most trusted training companies in the world, and we work with you know uh, groups as big as the Department of Defense for various countries, uh, military SWAT. We come in and and uh, do stuff law enforcement all over the world, and the big thing we talk about are the uh, the psychodynamics of fear. And how fear afflicts performance. There was an article that I wrote in 1993 called "The Theory of Presumed Compliance." One of the lines in it was, uh, "How you feel affects how you think, and how you think affects how you feel." Both influence what you do. And uh, and so, when we look at anything in, uh, uh, in life, any 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 type of challenge that you have, uh, it could literally be. Um, talking to somebody, asserting yourself, asking somebody for a raise, asking somebody on a date, wondering, you know, what you want to eat. I mean, you look at, you know, in, in any relationship is, as you have different, different, uh, uh, tiers of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, if, if you're a subordinate to somebody and someone goes, Hey, where do you want to go for lunch? And you go, Hey, let's go for Thai. And then this person who's maybe more senior in the in this group says, "I'm not in the mood for Thai." Every all of a sudden, everybody goes, "Okay, what do you want to go?" You're like, and so all of this is like like fear and how we assert ourselves. In fact, we have an expression we say that fear throttles everything we do in life, from who we talk to, who we marry, how much money we make, where we live, and whether or not you'll protect yourself or not. Is is it's all can be traced back to how we manage fear. So fear needs to become a fuel for people. It needs to be a catalyst. That's the reframe we do. And we've got uh, uh, um, kind of two divisions that we that we do as a, as a, as a company. One is uh, what we call a no fear seminar, which is just understanding psychodynamics of fear. And the other one is how we integrate fear into our personal defense, self-defense uh, training. So you can see like when you say, hey, when you think of the word fear, you know, what comes to mind, I'm going, well, uh, an entire portion of our business comes to mind and but the but the 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 uh uh emotional or personal relationship to it is that that fear is either a uh a, you know a heavy weight that weighs us down or it's something that we can use and turn into a fuel that inspires us to you know move towards something that's really literally outside our comfort zone do you think at your young age, taking on the martial arts was the number one thing that helped you kind of conquer and deal with fear? Um, yes and no. Part of the the challenge for me in, in doing shows like yours certainly helps because I get to explain that we can't confuse. It's again, comes back to definitions and the, the degree of clarity with which we define something determines its usefulness to us. So if we mistakenly define all self-defense as all martial arts and we watch a john wick movie and a jean-claude van damme movie and a chuck norris bruce lee movie and we go i can't kick like that i can't do that stuff and look at these guys fight what our brain does through illogical abstraction it says i can't do that therefore i can't defend myself so i'm just going to cooperate with a bad guy which is statistically the worst thing you can do right you know um and so that's the interesting thing is it's a it's a psychological dilemma. It's not about skill or ability or 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 what have you. So I don't have a fast answer other than, you know, trying to redefine just what self-defense is and, and get people to recognize that you don't put on your seatbelt 
and hope to get into an accident so that you could confirm the value of the seatbelt, right? In the same way, you don't take a legitimate self-defense course, hope to get into confrontation so you can confirm the value of the course. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all about being prepared, correct? Yeah. And, and then just being exactly. able to deal with those scenarios. So, I mean, you've worked with, I mean, some of the most impressive people in military, in law enforcement. Is there anyone who comes to mind with being one of the most impressive people you worked with? Oh, man. Well, um, uh, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to, because our system is entirely based on physiology, physics, psychology, it, it, it lends itself to anybody with an open mind. So I've had the amazing opportunity to work with like uh, tier one military to law enforcement, to women's shelters, to corporations, to uh, uh, professional MMA fighters and, and martial arts instructors and, and, uh, you know, teachings like my canvas I'm the painter. I love to teach, you know, at, at, at noon today, I'm going to go kick off this, this five, six day intensive course with a bunch of trainers from all over the world. And it's, it's when I'm the most lit up. It's when I'm the most, uh, uh energetic and, and, and just vibrant is, is when I'm sharing this stuff. And so nobody, Nobody stands because everybody learning the stuff is trying to get better and trying to get safer. So everybody genuinely in the course is like it's a captive audience and they love it. So nobody stands out more than another person. I'm not giving a safe answer. I'm like literally if you read our testimonials, you know, they're regularly like, why didn't I learn this 20 years ago? Why isn't everybody being taught this? How come it's not in every school? How come? And and so that feedback just just propels me forward. But I will say as a guy that, you know, going to a place where, you know, I, I, you know, I had to have a, uh, uh, you know, get, get clearance from the government and, and in turn in my cell phone and get escorted into some, you know, that's pretty freaking cool. Like, so when I'm, when I'm doing stuff with like a, like a tier one group, that's, that's working at a, a international national security level, but that's just my ego. That's just me going, Holy shit. Like, <laughs> look who I'm, look who I'm working with. But, but, uh, you know, um, you know, the, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, working with, um, uh, Tommy Morrison when he was alive, uh, he was on the set of Rocky five and hanging out with Stallone and, 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 uh, you know, talking to Bobby Bass, the stunt coordinator about how unrealistic fight scenes were. And he said, well, what would you like to see in a street fight? And I said, well, you know, two boxers street fighting would street fight. They wouldn't box because it's not boxing. And, and we talked for hours on that. And, you know, that whole thing, like when I'm talking to him, uh, and when I saw the the final fight scene, and they're like headbutts and elbows and takedowns and knees and ground fighting, and I went, "Holy shit!" Like I inspired some of that, but that's my ego, right? That's not. He still did, you know. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, working with this guy because it wasn't like that. It was really about like sharing a truth, and when people recognize that they're listening to a truth. It's they're they're no longer 
there's there's no hierarchy in the class. And that's it's I don't know if this is translating over over audio here, but yeah, no, this know, is actually great. Yeah, like what when I'm in the zone, the class is in the zone. And I'm not going, it's only afterwards where I go, holy shit, look where we were this week, you know. So uh so I'm you know, I'm gonna go teach today at noon. I've got uh uh we've got students from Venezuela, the UK, um a couple other parts of Europe, all over the States coming into Vegas for this training. And um, I don't go, oh, look, this guy's a, a multimillionaire entrepreneur. Or this guy runs his own business here. This guy, but like none of that. It's just, it's just people in a class, right? And um, it's the way it should be. It's- yeah, no, I mean, you asked if this is coming across over audio. I mean, you can just hear your passion and you can feel it. And, and understand what this means to you. And then just, this is your life's work. So it's very cool to hear this over audio, actually. Um, cool. Yeah. So I uh, uh, definitely want to make my listeners more aware of some of the things you're doing. Um, so how can they connect with you? Um, where should they go to sign up for these classes? And then also you're pretty active social media wise. Right. So um, depending on who's listening, what they want to do, you know, we've got a, a growing team worldwide that runs so i've done like you know teaching 37 years so we've you've taken these three plus decades of research and turned this into a special program that you know we run called be your own bodyguard and it's all about situational awareness verbal tactics de-escalation so it's a moral ethical legal approach to personal safety and and so you know you know we we argue respectfully argue that the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is the single most important skill that you could possess. If you think about this for a moment, if you have a problem, you know, with your internet, you're going to call geek squad or your buddy who's an IT specialist. If you got a stomachache, you go to a doctor, your roof starts to leak, you call the roof repair guy. There's only one problem in life that you have to take care of yourself right now. And that is sudden violent encounter. You do not even have time to dial 911. And so I'm not like, chicken little, you know, hey, the sky is falling, the world's like, I'm not trying to scare people into this. I'm just saying like, hey, if, you're, if your kitchen catches on fire because, you, you know, you left something on the stove, and this actually happened to me, ironically, when I was 15, uh, my, my sister, my mom was out uh, doing something, my sister decided to make some French fries and let the oil uh, uh, boil too much, and it caught fire. She was trying to like, cook some fries this is back like 1975 and uh, she didn't know as a kid that you don't put hot oil that's on fire underwater (laughs) at all ever right um and so but what does a kid do when they see you know fire pan she reflexively went to the sink fortunately for her face uh, it was a big pot, like a really deep pot, because when the water hit this this you know flaming oil, it exploded. I mean, it just detonated, and it went up. Uh, and because the pot was so deep, it blew straight up, um, and um, it uh, uh, b- almost blew like a little crater hole in the in the ceiling in the kitchen. But the kitchen caught on fire. The drapes caught on fire. Um, and I'm up on the, on the, on the, on a call, you know, no cells back then I'm sitting on a, on a phone talking to my friend across the street and she starts screaming, Tony, Tony, you know, like, you know, I'm 15. She's my 13 year old sister, Tony. And I'm like, 
I'm on the phone. <laughs> like, she goes, Tony. And I'm, I'm thinking she's screaming for me. And I'm like, shut up. I'm on the phone. And then I hear this shriek again. And I'm going, well, that's, that's, that's a different shriek. And I come around like out my door and I could see our living room glowing from the blaze in the kitchen. Jeez. And I jumped down the stairs. Yeah. I mean, like my house is on fire. We had a fire extinguisher in the basement. Now you know why I appreciate this fire extinguisher metaphor. And I ran down and I grabbed it, uh, pulled her out of the kitchen, and I put the fire out. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was an amazing, I mean, the whole thing lasted like a minute and a half. Um, but it was, it was just an, an insane experience. And so, you know, you know what I, what I do is I've created a program that looks at self-defense like that, where, you know, had I not had that fire extinguisher, maybe we would have lost our house. There's no way that, there's no way a fire truck would have gotten there in time to not stop the fire from spreading through other rooms. Um, and having that little stupid fire extinguisher in the, in the basement, and it should have been closer to the kitchen because, you know, where's a fire likely going to start that you can stop in the kitchen. Um, but this is all a metaphor. It's a true story, but it's a metaphor where you don't need to know how to defend yourself until the moment you need to know how to defend yourself. And the way people teach self-defense now, and I don't mean to offend people out there, but everyone teaches self-defense as a physical act. In fact, if you, if you Google the definition of self-defense, it's almost always a physical definition that says, as somebody the effect paraphrasing, um, uh, the act of physically protecting your property or your body, which means the attack has already happened. Does that make sense? Yep. So my definition is three-dimensional. And it's situational. And we actually wrote and are trying to, you know, update the world's definition of it. And, it's, and, and our definition is this, the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. And what that means, and I'll say it one more time because it's kind of cool, <laughs> the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. The moment you pick up danger, you should be doing everything to avoid it. Now, here's the tricky thing. You walk into a restaurant and you see some violent altercations start to break out in the middle of the restaurant. And you just walked in the door with your, your wife and your kid. You're by the door. Guess what you should do? Leave right away. Now you just paid your bill and you're standing, you're waiting by the front and this violent altercation breaks out in the middle of the restaurant. But your wife and your daughter went to the bathroom before you left the restaurant. Now they're on the other side of the conflict. Now what do you do? And I'm not giving anyone the answers, but the scenario completely changed. Yeah. Do I have the situational awareness, the ability to manage my fear, and simple gross motor movements that support decisions I need to make under duress? And and that's what we've done. We've figured out how to do that. Um, like I said, uh, the our system is entirely based on behavioral sciences of, of physiology, physics, and um, psychology which means it's not gender specific it's not age specific anybody can learn stuff and i've got so that the, you know this is the, the the deeper answer as to you know what how do people learn more one go to my website uh blauer spear b-l-a-u-e-r spear s-p-e-a-r.com tons of info and resources there there's tons of videos and lectures on um 
uh, on YouTube and Vimeo. Just Google me. Uh, our, our, our blog section has a ton of interviews. When, when this gets released, you know, I'll put yours up there. Uh, I say different stuff in every, you know, depends on the questioning, the line of questioning. So we had literally, uh, um, an interview that I did a few months back where the audio engineer who compressed the video for the host goes out to meet his mom after doing the, you know, his, his, his technical work and almost gets into an altercation and uses stuff that he learned listening to the podcast while he was compressing it. I love that. And tells the host, he goes, Holy shit, I almost got attacked with my mom, but I, you know, I remembered the three D's and I picked up this and I did what Blower said. And, and, and so the host calls me, he goes, and he actually writes in there that I'm probably the only guy you can listen to that could actually make you safer just by listening to me, which was, which was, which was funny. But that's how simple this stuff can be. You know, people tell, oh, you know, uh, it doesn't take 10 years or four years. It takes five minutes to learn how to uh, use a fire extinguisher. But you're not a freaking fireman after, after doing that. <laughs> Right. And that's the distinction is people people confuse martial arts with pure self-defense and pure self-defense is about choosing safety when danger is imminent. And and so if you you're listening to this, and you go, yeah, I've got a fire extinguisher, I've got a seatbelt. I try to eat healthy. I have no idea what I would do if somebody tried to do something to me or somebody I care about. How do I get away from that danger? How do I detect and avoid it? If I can't avoid it, how do I diffuse it? And if I can't diffuse it, how do I learn some simple you know, stun and run type move so I can get to, get to safety. So we've got courses all over the world. Uh, you can host a course if you're, uh, an individual or a company, there's, there's ways to do it. So we do stuff, corporations, real estate, nurses, uh, airlines, just, you know, um, it's the, the trick is really finding somebody who goes, Oh my God, that makes so much more sense than having to train, you know, for eight years. Right. And and the last caveat with that, as far as the reframe, is that if you get off this listening to this call and you turn to your your brother, or your cousin or your uncle or whoever, who's been doing jujitsu for six years, who's a blue belt and you go, hey, I'm going to go do this weekend self-defense seminar. When they finish laughing, they're <laughs> going to tell you that you're full of shit, that we're full of shit and you can't learn in a day or a weekend. And that's because they're confusing their art and their practice with what it takes to just protect yourself. And, and, uh, you know, that's a, a maturity thing where you've got to be able to kind of hold two thoughts in your mind. As that cliche goes, can you hold two separate opposing thoughts in your mind and weigh and consider, uh, you know, the value of, of, of each one and then make a decision from there. So for example, I teach the most realistic, simple self-defense system in the world. When I'm not traveling a lot, I also practice martial arts. And, I'll, and I've got a jiu-jitsu school that I love to go to. And I've got, you know, uh, bags in my, in my garage gym so I could practice my boxing and shit like that. I understand the difference, you know, between the ancient, you know, spear tip that I bought on a trip to England years ago that's allegedly dated Roman times. I understand my ancient steer, spear tip that sits as a symbol on my desk in my office with my Glock and my Benelli and my gun safe. 
I understand the difference in the weapon and the era where they're going to be used and when they're going to be used. But I also understand this, and let me leave your listeners with this thought. I understand that I'm also a human weapon system. And I don't say that to be dramatic, because if I were teaching you, Sean, I would refer to you as a human weapon system. And everybody in the class, male or female, regardless of age, you're all human weapon systems. And if you look at yourself as a physiological human weapon system, in other words, how did, how did people fight before martial arts were invented? So 80,000 years ago, modern man began roaming the planet. And that is when mono-a-mono fighting started. Did you know that the first spear, the oldest spear, discovered their guesstimating was about 400,000 years ago? That means 400,000 years ago, somebody figured out how to attach a, a rock to a stick and using the kinetic chain of the extensor muscles, slam that spearhead into an animal to hunt it or to keep it off it, right? That's a long time ago. So I tell people, I tell people like, you know, when you and I were a tribe hundreds of thousands of years ago, we didn't fight with each other. You and I didn't get in a fight over a parking spot or over, over you know, some female cave woman. <laughs> we, we were worried about starving to death. We were worried about getting eaten by giant animals. We were worried about avalanches and volcanoes and floods. And so we worked together. But 80,000 years ago, modern man began exploring the planet. So one day you and I were deciding where we were going to go fish or hunt. And we looked up on a ridge and there was like 12 other cavemen with spears in their arm who didn't speak our dialect and we didn't know them. And there was no paleo kung fu school (laughs) that we were going to, right? right? So how did we fight? And so I tell people, we are all human weapons. And what I've done is I've taken the, the, this 80,000-year-old DNA that kept our ancestors alive, and I'm teaching people how to reconnect with it. So we're teaching our cognitive brain to respect and embrace what our reptilian brain is going to do anyhow and what it did for years because it's dormant in most people, and that's why most people won't accept this. There was a time in your life and my life, if we went back, not in our lives, uh, there, was a, there was a time not too long ago where if you and I were like in the Old West and we were going to go into town and, and gamble or drink or sell some pelts, that if some stranger came out on our lawn, your wife or your sister or whoever, your mother came out on the porch with a rifle, pointed it at the stranger and said, what do you want? Ready to kill that person. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like not too long ago, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody knew how to hunt and kill. You know why? Because if you didn't, you died. And and so one of the things I write about it on my website, that when walls started getting erected uh, around and around cities, people began to get domesticated. And we started to believe that the militia or the military or police were going to take care of all our problems. And so we've weaned the survival instinct out of us. And, and that's the deeper answer when I say, hey, we are all human weapon systems. I'm not trying to be, you know, cavalier or, or, or cocky about that. It's we are literally human weapon systems. And when we reconnect to that, uh, we're, we take back responsibility for our personal safety. So, Tony, you're someone who's constantly reinventing themselves and finding new ways to, to tackle new challenges. Who are you learning from today and what are they teaching you? 
I'm kind of spontaneous like that. I don't, I don't really have a, like I'm not doing some online course or reading a specific book. I mean, I'm, I'm a voracious learner. Uh, and, uh, you know, I randomly pick times in the day when I'm whipping through Twitter, whipping through Instagram, whipping through Facebook. Uh, and, and I learn a lot from the nonsense that goes on in social media. It, it, uh, it's interesting. So I'll see if I see an interesting quote, you know, maybe I'll, I'll dig deeper into who said that, what's their background, follow them a little bit more. So I'm very, you know, and I don't mean this to sound at all like I've stopped learning because that's not, I mean, that's obviously not the case. But at, at the age of, I'm turning 57 in May, you know, you just know bullshit when you hear it. Like your bullshit meter after almost six dec- decades on the planet, especially with the amount of, of travel and work that I've done with, with people all over the place. You just read something and you go, I, I don't even need to, that's bullshit, right? And, uh, and, uh, and likewise, there's stuff that, and again, uh, like I, I really believe that I, I do my, my best to not get in the way of myself, you know? And so I'll look at something and I'll go, well, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before or seen that presented that way. Uh, but mostly what I do is, um, I'm just inspired by excellence. So, you know, there's, there's a few companies that do stuff right all the time. And I'm constantly amazed by how they reinvent themselves and what I use that to, to kind of like inspire myself, whether it's, it's for my, uh, uh, my fitness, my family, uh, or my, or my business. So there's not one kind of, this is one of my long rambly answers. There like, there's not one thing that I'm doing. I think it's, a uh, a, a constant thing. And I think it's also, it's an interesting thing is it, it, it's really impacted a lot of relationships over the years. Cause most people aren't like that. And I'm constantly challenging myself and challenging the people around me. Why would you say that? Why, why would you do that? How could you even think that way? You know? And they're like, people goes like, like, okay, it's enough with that. You know, you can see it in their face. They just, they're just content to just get through the day and get through the week and not think too much. So yeah, no, a constant learner. Uh, I've seen that amongst most of the successful people I've interviewed. So have you had anything that you've changed in the past year based on something new you learned, whether that be a self-defense tactic, um, one of your fitness routines, anything like that? Um, no, certainly not from the self-defense side. I mean, basically, you know, our, our stuff, uh, I've gotten better at expressing what we do and uh, have found and seen, um, uh, like stuff from neuroscience and, and, and new research that just kind of corroborates stuff we've been doing for 20 years. But, you know, the, the really to spend a little bit of time talking about that for a second, cause that's what I do. Uh, you know, we figured out how to reverse engineer personal safety because the human body only moves a certain way. And it only works, you know, uh, with certain planes and certain the engineering of the body is quite predictable. Uh, and and so in that sudden violent moment, you don't want to have, you know, a whole bunch of different options in your mind that are slowing down how quickly you decide to move. And and so, you know, our focus is, is really on the simplicity of, of functional situational awareness, how to manage fear and then how to move really suddenly. So nothing, I don't, I don't see anything 
when I'm when I'm scouring the internet, looking at clips of self-defense situations and fights and and other people doing stuff, like most of the stuff I see is is just expression of martial arts, but not self-defense. So nothing there. Uh, the fitness the fitness realm is me as as I I don't want this to sound. Uh, uh, I don't even know what the word I'm describing is like. I've I've noticed that I've had to really modify my training because of things I've done to my body in the last 30, 40 years. So in the last couple of years, I've really had to kind of back off on the weight and the explosiveness of the workout and stuff like that, just because it takes me so long to heal. And I just realized that, you know, from, uh, you know, I just abused my body figuring out all this, this self-defense stuff for 20, 30 years. You know, we didn't have what, what, what people are exposed to now as far as the prehab, the rehab, the stability and mobility, uh, it um, uh, it's amazing. Like what my my son and my daughters are getting exposed to, I never did. We, you know, when we would start, if I was going to go spar with a bunch of guys on a Friday night at the gym, you know, you put your mouth guard in in, in your mouth and you stepped in the ring. <laughs> like you didn't, didn't, there was there was no half hour warm up. Yeah, you know? a little different now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, so it, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else did you ask me? There was the fitness side. So fitness, I'm like just scaling back and just trying to stay active and move. Anything specifically with your recovery? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it, you know, really what it comes down to at any age is just listen to your body, just listen to your body, not, and, and, and not listen to your, your mind. Um, uh, and, and let me articulate that, uh, is, uh, if you don't understand how to truly introspect and 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 kind of finesse the, it, you know, I just did a seminar in in Vegas, and this might explain it better. We have a a a maxim, a motto: choose safety. Always choose safety. And so one of our our new coaches said, "Hey, I'm wrestling with that because." Um, and he gave some example, and what I said to him, I said. You're choosing to be safe, which isn't the same as choosing safety. Hmm. And he looked at me and I said, understand that that sometimes moving towards the danger and maybe attacking the, the fear and going through the threat equals safety. But choosing to be safe for many people is hiding from that confrontation. That's kind of deep, right? And that is. And so, yeah, so... So, you know, it's like you play it safe in life and you don't take chances and that'll really impact how far you grow, how far you go. And so uh, that's why I say, listen to your body, don't listen to your mind. Kind of a kind of a cool way, if, if you get where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, Tony, that's a great life maxim there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's applicable across all, all assets of life. So I appreciate that. So say we have someone, just your average citizen have never taken any of your courses before, say a real estate agent showing a home right. and they get attacked, right. anything that they, that they should do immediately to help protect themselves? Well, you know, it's interesting and they get attacked and what should they do? Or I guess even, even preparing for a scenario like that to avoid that circumstance. Right. And what I wanted to articulate there is, is you unconsciously, like most people think attacks just happen. And the truth of the matter is, and I think I talked about this earlier, and that is that, you know, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before. And so, you know, no one just gets attacked. 
and and that's the biggest thing to tell anybody. There's always some sort of pre-contact indicator that we choose to ignore through cognitive dissonance. It comes back to what I said, listen to your body, don't listen to your mind. You know, if you get a bad feeling about something, that's listening to your body. And then your brain says, you know, and that's okay. Uh, I think I've seen that guy in the neighborhood be- before or, you know, our cognitive dissonance, right? That part of our, that psychological dilemma where we, the evidence is there that's suggesting something else. But what our brain is saying is, um, now you don't want to deal with this now. This isn't, uh, like this isn't happening. It can't be happening. Right. And so cognitive dissonance just, you know, recreates, uh, this reality for you. So you don't have to address it. Um, and so, uh, uh, if you're a real estate agent and you're walking male or female and you see somebody get out of the car, like, and I would literally tell, like if my daughter or my son said, I, Hey dad, I'm going to be a real estate agent. And, uh, uh, you know, they were at the house early and they're looking out the window, waiting for the car. The car's a bit late. And then the car pulls up and they get this like weird feeling. Let's say the guy gets out of the car and he looks over his shoulder left and right, like looking around the neighborhood. Now he may be looking around the neighborhood, but there's something weird about the way he looks. And you suddenly had this fear spike. I would tell them, cancel, cancel that. Don't open the door, call the person up and say, Hey, uh, you know, come up with some excuse. Hey, I, I just uh, started uh, throwing up and I think I've got a flu. I'm going to reschedule. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like people go, no, that's weird. I wouldn't do that. But I go like, how many times have you been somewhere? How many times have you been somewhere where you're waiting for somebody to get out of the car and you don't have a bad feeling? Like every time, right? In this one time you had a bad feeling, why not choose safety? That's all we're telling people because 100% of the victims of violence uh, uh, you know, who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before. And what I'm asking people to, to focus on is that we rarely, rarely have those bad feelings. And then what happens when we do, because it's easier to pretend you're safe than to choose safety, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we just shut that down. So, you know, now, you know, that's D1. So remember, you know, uh, uh, well, I talked about the three D's, detect, diffuse, defend, uh, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate. And then a push comes a shove, you got to protect yourself. And so um, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. And I get a lot of people who what they do is they, they argue with me around the D1, D2. Like everyone wants to learn. Everyone wants to learn um, about the, um, the fighting. Everyone wants to learn how to get out of a headlock. Everyone wants to um, learn how to fight, but what they what they don't do is invest the same type of energy and passion into the um, into the most important part, and that is the personal safety and and all of that stuff. Yeah, the human intuition is a powerful thing. So I think having my listeners hear that from you is going to go a long way. Now, I'd like to pivot into something pretty personal here. I, I hope you're, you're willing to share this for my listeners because I think they'll get a lot out of this. So you're driving one day and you receive a call from your wife and her and your family are going through a home invasion. What goes through your mind at that time and how do you deal with that? Yeah, that was really surreal. Um, and um, it, was, uh, it was a type of thing that... Um, Hang on a second. Let me gather my thoughts on this one because it's not something I'm comfortable talking about. But it's uh, it 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 was one of those things. Well, you know, when when the call came in, 
you know, we got we have a thing with, uh, you know, I tell my, my, my kids, my wife, Hey, I'm busy. My, I'm on my phone all the time. My phone is my computer and I travel so much and I go, Hey, if you, if you need me, text me. Cause I'll look at a text. I can, I can be on a call and read a text. And, um, so my wife calls and I hit ignore him on, I'm on the phone with a, with another person and she calls again and I hit ignore. And then she calls a third time and I went, fuck, okay, something's wrong. And, you know, when I answered the call, she's screaming, you know, there's, there's guys in the house, they have guns. And I was only about a mile from the house and I was sitting in my car waiting for, to go into an appointment. So I was right in my car and I just, I mean, I just like, I just started driving, like, and I would say driving, speeding. And, and I was just whipping back to the house. There was no, should I call the cops? What should I do? How should I get in the house? It was, it was immediately, you know, get to my family. Um, by the time I got there, uh, there was already a cop, uh, with his gun drawn staged outside of his car, you know, pointing it at the our open garage door, open our windows. Uh, my wife was, was, um, coming out of the house. It was all surreal, moving super, super slow motion. I jump out of the car. Um, I had, a uh, a weapon in my car that I put down cause I didn't want the cop to turn around, spin around and see a stranger walking towards him with a, <laughs> with a weapon in his hand. Right. And, uh, you know, so I identify myself, I come there, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, my wife's hysterical and everything. And I want to know where the kids are. And this thing had happened in literally about four minutes, just some background on it. The, um, uh, I left the house and, uh, some guys, uh, uh, one guy rings our doorbell and, and my wife opens it and we have these, uh, two mangy mutts barking. So she's like looking down, like trying to move the dogs away, like, you know, from the door with her feet, she looks up and there's a gun in her face. And, uh, and the guy says, where the kids, where the kids, and they had obviously been watching our house, scoping the house, force themselves in. My son, who was 16 at the time, uh, is upstairs, you know, watching some uh, football. It was like a Friday night at 5.30, watching some football highlights, uh, ESPN or whatever. And he hears this commotion downstairs with this guy yelling at her. And so uh, he um, he calls the cops right away. He's got a portable phone with him. He's on 911. And we happen to, is as horrible is this to say we lived in a, in a a nice area where this shit doesn't happen and the cops responded i say horrible to say because it's probably not the same all over the world uh but the uh cops were there like like the cops were there before i could drive a mile wow. so that's like that's like inside inside two minutes you know they were there uh you know obviously somebody was nearby when the call went out and um uh but i was less less than a mile away she called me uh, my son had called obviously 911 before that. And so like within th- two, three minutes, the uh, police, uh, police response was there, which was amazing. Uh, what ended up happening was, um, when they heard the sirens, they freaked, but when they'd come in, my son was in the house, my two daughters were in the house, my wife was in the house and at gunpoint, they moved them all to, uh, um, my, my daughter had grabbed my middle-aged daughter, had grabbed my youngest daughter and went and hid in her closet. 
And then they, what they did is they rounded up my son and my wife at gunpoint and found the other kids and then put them all in the closet. And then, um, uh, and then what happened was, um, they went scouring the house and the sirens hit at that point. And thankfully those guys panicked at that moment. And so by panicking, they tried to get out and that's what, and it's probably who knows they didn't have masks on man. Uh, they didn't have, um, uh, you know, any, any way to like, uh, hide their identity, which is, which is something that I tell people when I'm teaching them, if someone's got a gun in your face and he's moving you around somewhere and he's not trying to conceal his identity, that's not a good sign ever. Right. So, um, uh, they left and I was there. And what was interesting is, you know, when I tell people we were doing, we had a, a, a seminar at my training facility, you know, we had this, uh, massive tactical training facility and, you know, here I am, you know, running one of the most trusted, you know, hand-to-hand combatives companies in the world and like you know after 24 hours and and dealing with the cops and dealing with all this stuff you know i went to uh, my facility where we had about 40 people from all over the world you know military law enforcement martial artists self-defense instructors you know all in there um and um i told them what happened and it was very interesting sean to to see Half the class, I said, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. So I said, you guys know who I am, right? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> I go, like, I'm pretty well known in the world. Yeah, you're like, you're this self-defense pioneer, right? I go, you know, what are the odds of me being the victim of a home invasion? And everyone, like, the class just went, like, dead silent. And I go, like, what, like, what would you do? <laughs> what would you say if I told you, like, like, this just happened Friday night? And they were stunned. And I said, I wasn't there. Now, here's the thing is um, I was going to have some uh, some body work done, my back, my neck, my shoulders. And uh, I left the house. And as I opened the garage door to walk out the garage door, I saw these three guys uh, uh, walking up the street. And there was something wrong, wrong with it. I got a really bad feeling right away. But they were walking. They had already passed my house. And um, and the feeling I got from them was significant enough that I stopped actually putting on my running shoes and just kind of stare at them for a second. And, you know, and so that, that's that pre-contact cue that I talk about, but they were walking away from me towards, you know, if anyone who knows Virginia beach, we were in this cul-de-sac little residential area and they were walking towards Great Neck Boulevard, which is like a, you know, like a, a local road where people are doing like 55 miles an hour, you know, and there's this massive uh, high school about 500 meters away. And there's constantly kids in small groups walking around. So it's very easy for your brain to go, they must be this. They're probably from the football team. They're probably from the basketball team. I'm doing this. I'm doing that or whatever it is. And, um, but I remember the feeling was so strong that something was wrong. I actually stopped putting on one of my shoes and I watched them and I kind of like kind of walked slowly out of the garage and I watched them continue almost to the edge where they would have to turn and get out of our cul-de-sac. And I remember thinking to myself as I walked in my car, wow, that like feeling really made me sick. And I said, what am I going to do? I call the police and go, Hey, there's uh you know, three suspicious looking people of a diff- different ethnicity than I am. Uh, and if you have a helicopter nearby, you can come like ask them what they're doing walking. And like, they're, they're not going to act on that. Right. Because they weren't doing anything. And that's the whole thing. It's like, and what was I going to do? It wasn't like I saw them looking in my wife's car 
or I caught them in my backyard or they were sitting on my lawn or, or you know, you know, uh, uh, looking in a window. They weren't they weren't even at my house. They were walking by my house away, you know, heading out of the, the little community. But I remember the feeling was bad. And I watched them and I watched them walk out. And then I got in my car. I start I started uh, the engine. I started to drive. And I remember um, uh, driving by them just as they hit the corner and then looking in my rear view mirror and looking at them and, and, and thinking, man, those guys are up to no good. But they, they weren't on my property. They were just like walking through. So, you know, were they, you know, uh, and like I said, there were so many, there was so much, you know, once a month, somebody would come in the neighborhood you know, asking for donations for football uniforms, for basketball uniforms, for the wrestling club, for whatever, because the high school was right nearby. So that was a regular occurrence. You know, were they just coming back from a friend's house? Were they that? And I just didn't like their look. You know, sometimes you look at the way somebody's dressed and you're going, that guy looks like a bum, that guy, look, whatever it is, right? And I, and I, but I, I was late for my appointment and I left and I watched them leave the area, right? And so I need anyone listening to this to understand that um, it was just this weird, that was weird, like that, like just this weird, bad feeling moment in my body and then my brain reg- wrestling, what should you do? That was, you know, and it was like, but they're not doing anything. They're just walking and you see that all the time. And I'm going, man, maybe I'm racist. I don't know. Like, like you start like I'm profiling, right? Like, what am I doing? Right. And, um, had I been a cop, had I been the local security, you know, possibly it would have been my job to go, you know, can I help you guys? And then, you know, mm-hmm. try to pick up more cues from there. But that wasn't. And like I said, for me, uh, it's it's one of those things where I go. And what we learned after was these guys you know, had targeted our house and they waited for me to leave, which means had I decided to stay there and get out my guns and, you know, lock down the house, they weren't coming back while I was there. They were going to come in when I wasn't there. So it was one of those things where it had to happen. It was going to happen. And that's a hard thing to swallow. And, um, but fortunately, uh, my family being, you know, you know, flowing with that, my son heard something hit nine one one right away. My daughter, you know, uh, you know, grabbed her little sister and went and hid. My wife, when they were moving her around the house, uh, went to look. She knew that, you know, all the doors were closed. So she went, She, you know, when the guy was saying, where are the kids? She said, hey, maybe they're in the garage. And uh, so he let her open the garage door. And she said, no, they're not there. But while she was turning around, she, uh, with her intuition instincts, hit the uh, garage door button. Hmm thinking, okay, this is an escape room, yep, right? Big escape I, I exit. Yeah. Right. And so she did that. Right. And like all of these things came together, uh, uh, you know, it was a perfect storm in, in, in that sense. And it was like, you know, the best home invasion you could have because nobody was injured physically. And so, um, it was, it was interesting. Let's go back to my, to my training center for a second where, um, you know, I'm talking to all these, all these guys. And here's an interesting thing, Sean. I said to them, I said, Hey guys, what would it, you know, like, what do you think? I wasn't there when it happened. What do you think? And half the class were like, those guys were lucky. And, and half the class was like, wow, I'm kind of glad you weren't there. And I had everyone explain. And what I told them, I said, imagine me with what I know, 
where three guys come in your house, at least one or two had guns. And uh, what do you think would happen if I had opened the door and the gun had been in my face? Because they didn't all come in at once, right? It was one person rang the doorbell, waited for the door to open, and then they had been they were hiding on either side of the door on the house, right? I said, do you think I would have let people in my house with my family home without fighting in the in the lobby? I, go, no I don't chance. think so, right? And um, I go, so right in front of my seven-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old daughter, my son upstairs, my wife, I'd have fucking taken out the first guy only to be flanked by two people I didn't know that were there, depending on how they flooded the house. Uh, and maybe I get stabbed or shot in the back while I'm dropping one other guy. Or maybe, you know, I get maimed and I kill one guy or or two of them or what, you know, and suddenly there's a bloodbath in the lobby of your house. And let's say I win it. What we turned out was like two of them were 17, one was 18, and they had a driver and a getaway car. Mm -hmm. They all four of them got caught. But the point is, like, you know, there's justice in the law, and let's not be cavalier about this, but it would have been a nightmare. It would have been a nightmare uh, for my kids to see it, even if I even if I stopped all three of them, right? So, you know, it would have been, it would have been, uh, you know, me, uh, oh, oh that, uh, you know, the news, you know, trained expert kills 17-year-olds. Yep. Right? Uh, <laughs> that's, how, that's how it would be today. It's right, right? You know, look at this, like, you know, so, uh, and again, it was, you know, one of those things where, um, you know, a, a, a good friend of mine who's a, uh, uh, a retired law enforcement, but uh, he works with one of the world's preeminent uh, uh, protective service, like bodyguard firms, and they do all sorts of consulting for stuff uh, in, in private security. And, you know, I called him when it happened and, and you know, he said, hey, uh, you know, how's your head? I said, I'm mad. I'm wrestling with, you know, like, why wasn't I there? Should I have been there? Should I, what should I have done here? Um, and you know, I'm still digesting that again, this is like, like within five hours of this happening. So my brain is just firing. And, uh, you know, he said, Hey, you know, the evidence is clear that everyone did the right thing because everyone's okay. And, you know, you had the experience and, but everyone got out of it. And, uh, it was interesting. It was, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's impacted the family. You know, the, my, my youngest daughter, uh, uh, you know, got the worst of it. She was seven at the time. And, um, so it really impacted her and she's doing great now, but, uh, you know, for several years, you know, she, you know, sleeping was an issue, eating disorder, uh, um, uh, you know, lots of fear, uh, you know, to do things. And, but it's interesting, uh, you know, for me with what, you know, with what I do, it's, um, it's become a very introspective piece of, of the tapestry that, that makes up my passion for teaching people about safety and awareness and, and choosing that safety. And I, and I'll tell you what, man, you know, like you asked me a question about real estate and I go, Hey, you see somebody get out of the car and he looks left and right over his shoulders. And, you know, you've seen a hundred other people. And so this is what your, 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 your body's intuition, right? Is that, that contrast between what you see and what you know from past experience. And so you've waited, you're the real estate agent and you've seen a hundred people pull up to a house and you're waiting for them because your real estate agent's always there first. And you see everyone get out and you see people look around the neighborhood going, man, do I like this street or not? And then this one time somebody looks around and it looks like maybe they're looking for witnesses or other cars, 
but they're also moving their head left and right like everyone else who's looking around the neighborhood to see if they look the neighborhood, but something was off that time. And so what I'm telling people is like, that's the signal right there. Um, and in the case of uh, uh, my story, you know, somebody could be going, well, you didn't do that, did you? And I go, well, you go through the exercises, you know, and, and you go through, um, you know, that the whole process where I sat there for a moment going, what should I do? Should I call the cop? I went through it and they left the neighborhood. I went, well, they weren't on my property. They weren't on my land. They didn't do this. They're not coming back to me. They're not surrounding the car. They weren't vandalizing my house. I didn't catch in my backyard. They, I must be racist, right? You know, as it, as it turned out, I was a hundred percent right with the bad feeling. So once again, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale had a bad feeling before the attack in knowing after they were, after they were caught and they're in jail now, um, uh, knowing the story and, and how it was set up and what they were told they were going to come back Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday when I wasn't there and I travel a lot. So it was going to happen anyhow. And, uh, you know, it probably would have turned out really different, knock on wood, uh, if my son wasn't home, who Kyle, who was the one that called 911, you know? So it's just one of those things where shit happens and you just do your best to get out of it. So this is the thing also about, about understanding self-defense and teaching is like people get fucking focused on like this false panacea, like of what style's best. And like I always tell people, it's not what you believe, it's what you see. And when you look at images of real violence, you don't see martial arts. So we need to really redefine that martial arts is not self-defense, nor our combat sports, nor our reality-based self-defense, which are really just martial arts without the geese and the belts. You know, it's still complex motor skills and you're still going, I would do this when he does that. And we don't know what we're going to do when we're spontaneously uh, uh, confronted during D1, D2, D3. And you just hope that your your training supports it. And I tell people, like, understanding what to do in self-defense is can be taught really quickly, like in a day, like taking a CPR first aid course. But you got to get out of your head that that just because you did a day of self-defense where you learn to trust your instincts, you learn about situational awareness, you learn about verbal de-escalation, and you learn simple primal gross motor movement, um, you can't enter a jiu-jitsu tournament. You can't spar with somebody. You can't go do a musical kata, right? And you don't, you're not a martial artist is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You're just some, and, and so when you learn CPR and how to put on a tourniquet, you, you develop the skills and ability to do what? To save somebody else's life. Where, why aren't people investing in themselves and going, because guess what? The life you may be saving may be your, yourself or somebody you love because of these skills and these ability. And it's not, you know, we're not teaching an art form. It doesn't take years to do. You've got a great quote. The harsh reality is that your personal safety is your responsibility. Your ability to detect, diffuse, or defend yourself rests on your shoulders. I mean, it's so true, and people need to make sure they're aware of that. And, and Tony, I, I thank you so much for, for being vulnerable and telling that story. I can only imagine how difficult that was. And we're so thankful that the physical um, nature of your family, they're okay and I'm, I'm hoping that your story will help people think more about that internal awareness. And hopefully this can prevent a future attack for one of my listeners. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, Sean. So I know, you, I know your, your time is tight and you've got to get going here in a minute. But one final question. What are you most passionate about in your life right now? Um, I, I would say most passionate is, is just keeping my, my family 
uh, on the right track. You know, my kids, my, my son's 25, my daughter's 19 now, my youngest daughter's 15 now. Uh, you know, my wife's turning 45. So it's just really keeping us tight knit and communicating. And with all the distractions and all the social media, as I spend the things, the stuff that I think about the most is, you know, family time, quality and, and those relationships. I work the hardest, uh, you know, on, on my, my company and developing my trainers, like that takes up most of my time. But what consumes me and what I, when I, when I find myself just stopping everything, like just dropping everything is, is if I'm thinking about my kids and my family and making sure that's the way it should be. It should always be family first. Uh, you know, those are the, that's, that's, that's the real relationship and, you know, finding that, uh, as the, that proverbial, you know, work-life balance. Well, that's fantastic. So Tony, I know you've got to go. Um, in the previous one, we made sure we've got everything linked up uh, where they're going to connect with you at. So um, if you're good, I, I truly appreciate you sharing that story. That was that was very impactful. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, Sean. And and you know, like I love doing these things. I make myself available to you know uh, lots of people all over the world for uh, for this very reason. You know, we did we did one call um, a few months ago where the audio technician who was, you know, just editing some of the little, you know, background stuff and doing sound levels. So, you know, he's listening to the whole interview and uh, he ends up going out to meet his uh, uh, mom after for dinner and ends up almost getting assaulted, but uses what he learned compressing the video of, of D1 and D2. Get and out he of tells, here. He tells, the, yeah, he, tells, <laughs> he tells the host, he tells the host, holy shit, like I almost got attacked last night, but I used the shit from, from the Blower interview. <laughs> and, you know, so I get a call the next day from the host. He goes, you're like the only guy that can make somebody safer just listening to you. And so that's really what it is, is it's, you know, it's funny that you say that is you just inspire people. Like there's no downside to choosing safety. Oh, I love so that. If your listeners, if your listeners go, man, I got a bad feeling about that. You know, I'm closing the door. I'm going back. And I always tell people the worst thing that'll happen if you choose safety and it turns out to not be anything is that you were a little bit late for what you were going to do. But the alternative is horrible, right? So it could be that I locked the house. I don't remember. Ah, screw it. I'll find out when I get home from work. Oh shit. I was burglarized. I didn't lock it, you know, as opposed to turning around and 15 minutes back and shit, yep. and lock, locking up and just calling whoever your meeting was or telling your boss, or if you run the company, hey guys, I'm running late. I, you know, I forgot something I had to turn around. People are so worried about shit like that. Did I close, you know, did I shut the uh, stove off or the oven off? Well, you know, I should be fine. I don't think I did. You know, like, is the alarm on? Was that guy following me or not? Probably not. Like the downside of being right about the premonition is the worst. That's such a great perspective. Yeah. And it's, so I always tell people it's like, it's such a big thing, you know, for years we just say, Hey, hashtag choose safety, hashtag choose safety in everything you do, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, you could be in a restaurant, you take a bite of something This tastes a little bit off. Well, don't eat three more bites. <laughs> get food poisoning. No, just go, Hey, this doesn't taste good. No, I'm sure that's fine. Okay. And it's, it's so funny. Cause I'm, you know, I'm around, and like, you know, like we were at the dinner the other night and, you know, uh, someone takes a bite of something and makes a little face. I go, what's up? I go, this doesn't taste, you know, right. I go, well, set it back. Well, no, let me take another bite. Maybe, you know, I just, 
It's like, no, just send it back. You know, it's just like, just make a safe choice. So. Oh, that's easy. great. Yeah. Ah, well, Tony, you are the man. I really do appreciate this. So uh, I know you've got a lot going on. So thanks again for the time and looking forward to continue to following you and hopefully get to one of your classes in the near future here. Yeah, I uh, look forward to meeting you live. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Tony. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.